And you look at small to medium-sized businesses, you know, a lot of them predominantly cloud-centric nowadays, so they don't have to build their own IT infrastructure. And they assume, well, hey, everything's backed up and everything's good. Whereas we see adversaries now moving more towards cloud infrastructure attacks. So I think there's yeah. a perception issue that if you're cloud, you're secure. If you're cloud, you have backups. And that's yeah. not necessarily the case in most, in most of these things that we're seeing now. Welcome to The Threat Show for the week of November the 21st. This week's special guest is David Kennedy, the founder and chief hacking officer of Trusted Sec and Binary Defense. He gives critical advice that small to medium-sized businesses can start taking advantage of to up their security game. The team also discusses five major threats you need to know about. Here's your host, Robert Wagner. Hi, everybody, and welcome to The Threat Show. I'm Robert Wagner, and with me are my co-hosts, Darian Kinlan, VP of Technology at Fletch, and Chris Wilder, Director of Research at Tag Cyber. How are you guys doing today? Outstanding. Awesome. <laughs> And with us, we have none other than Dave Kennedy as our special guest. Dave is a founder of not one, but two InfoSec companies and the chief hacking officer uh, for both of those organizations as well, which is one of the coolest titles I've ever heard. Thanks for joining us today, Dave. Yeah, totally a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. Look forward to it. You bet. So we've got a lot to cover today. Um, we have five threats that we're going to talk about in the burndown. Second segment of the show, we're going to talk to Dave about some tactics that he can advise us with when it comes to uh, securing organizations that should be particularly helpful for smaller organizations as well as large ones. So with that, Darian, what do we got going on in the world? We've got some very interesting stuff today, new or evolving threat actors. And while it's not uncommon for us to talk about backdoors, today we might be talking about a very interesting front door yeah. <laughs> vulnerability. Right, right. It's a mix of, I would say, threat group updates, malware tactics changes, and some really unique vulnerabilities. So starting us off on this list, basically Trend Micro identified a brand new change to a subgroup of APT41 that updated their, their tactics. Now, this particular group loves to repurpose and reuse the standard pen test toolkit known as Cobalt Strike. Mm. But what they've got done is they've gotten more familiar with how to evade EDR uh, products by repackaging and obfuscating that particular tool in a myriad of ways. So in this particular time frame, they actually started out just kind of going after soft targets over in Asia, specifically Taiwan, focused yeah. on, you know, how can we go after these particular industry verticals and compromise very targeted organizations and agencies with it, you know, going after basically a small subset of industry verticals in this area. What they found was they they got more successful in it. They learned from those tactics and they've now started to repurpose brand new custom loaders that try to obfuscate again the same malware. So under the hood, it's the same malware, but they're getting better and better about evading security detections. It's amazing to see just how the progression evolves during this time frame, And it's likely given this level of evolution within around a six month time frame, you know, a lot of organizations, including the uh, retail ISAC are kind of sounding the alarm saying, Hey, it's only a matter of time before they're going to set their sites elsewhere, honestly. Right. These guys are, um, and their little brother, APT10, these guys are truly the Chinese buffet of uh, hackers. <laughs> you know, we, we're tracking about 30 different variants of malware that are coming out of these guys. Uh, most of them are backdoor and 
some rat, but uh, backdoor and download are the kind of the big areas. But this biggest one is we're seeing about 170, about 175 TTPs that they use. That's very concerning. You're, but they're so broad and there's so much, like you said, Darian, there. They keep adjusting. And, and with these guys, it's a volume game for them. Yeah. And they just pull something and then send it back out. And, and they really do an excellent job of hitting. They're indiscriminate on whom they hit. So this is one that keeps keeps a lot of folks awake at night. <laughs> Chris, are they actually showing up uh, in, in your clients' traces or? I do see them, uh, my work with the government, especially yeah. right now and the stuff I'm doing with the State Department. And it's it's very MENA specific, you know, Middle East, North Africa side of the world. It's a concern, but it's not something that, it's keeping analysts awake at night, not keeping practitioners. And But it's a, it's a massive concern for the telecoms throughout the MENA region. What I thought was uh, particularly interesting, I guess, about this is that, you know, you look at phishing campaigns relatively low sophistication on the ones that have been identified, right? So they send a, a notice out saying, hey, there's been, you know, sexual activity that's been, you know, identified within you. And then, you know, and then they have you go to a Google Drive folder that contains a zip file, which contains a renamed docx that's actually got an ex- executable extension. And then from there, it has the, the custom loader that then decrypts the shell code, deploys it directly into memory via COBOL strike, and then ejects it via run DLL32 or DLL host for the DLL import. And so, when you look at the techniques, you know, from a mature detection organization perspective, it's it's relatively easy to identify, and hopefully, you're not allowing uh, zip files with executables in them within your organization. But at the end of the day, the problem is is that you know these techniques, most organizations don't have an extremely sophisticated detection program, and so you know you're running into this issue now where these types of attacks, even though the techniques that they're using aren't highly crazy they're still highly successful in most organizations and kind of gives you kind of an idea of the current state of, of most folks that are out there today. And, and for small companies that you know may not even know how to block zip files with executables in them, uh, your, your partner with your vendors, they may be able to help you if you do have EDR, stuff like that. Obviously this is designed to evade it, but keep updating that EDR as fast as you can. And your best second line of defense is really the education of the users. Um, remember that Amazon, has free user awareness training now. It's the same user training that they do for their own employees. So if nothing else, help walk your walk your employees through that training and, and help them understand uh, how they could be socially engineered into clicking on these links uh, or, or attachments. And Defender does a pretty good job of, as well. So I would, if you don't have Defender in your tool bag, get to get it. Makes sense. All right. Yeah, next on our list is a uh, new threat group that, uh, or new coverage for a threat group by Symantec that has identified kind of a tactic change. Again, targeting Asian industry verticals. But what's kind of the most alarming of this is the fact that a commercial digital certificate authority was compromised as part of this campaign. When we talk about supply chain attacks and effective supply chain attacks, this is this is high up on the list. It's usually not easy to compromise a CA. I'm sure there's a lot of uh, arguments around that, but right. generally speaking, it's supposed to be not easy because ultimately cleaning up and remediating you know, a, a compromised certificate authority is expensive and time-consuming. If it was uh, easy, everybody would be doing it because this is one of the holy grails, right? Everybody right. would love to compromise a CA. Yeah. And, you know, any any particular commercial organization that was using the CA for <laughs> a legitimate cert issuance is now a potential soft target where either the 
you know, the attacker can go after those customers directly or potentially just spoof the identity of those particular customers to then go after others that use them in the supply chain. And then this thing is so popped up. What is it last week? I think it kind of popped up as a new friend of ours. I've already had four or five different inquiries specifically about this and what to do. Our analyst team, or we're, we're going back and we're actually coming up with a decent response for it, but, uh, but not Darren, you're absolutely right. This is a new kind of a new scary. Well, I yeah. think when you look at, at how certificate authorities are being used in general, yeah. we see BYOD very heavily being used right now by adversaries, bring your own drivers where They'll take drivers that are legitimately signed by like NVIDIA or Microsoft and their previous rev versions that have their own vulnerabilities in them uh, that they can use to exploit for remote code execution. So they'll, you know, drop a, a, a DLL on a disk that has a known remote code execution vulnerability, but yet it's still code signed and still valid because it's still, you know, a legitimate DLL being used by operating systems, especially for those for backwards compatibility and those that haven't been patched. Right. And so, you know, and it's whitelisted by EDRs, it's whitelisted by, you know, antivirus products. So it's very difficult to go and detect. And you see the same type of techniques being applied here where, you know, leveraging legitimate certificate authorities to go and sign. And I'll tell you, uh, as a pen tester and red teamer, you know, we have our own code signing certificates registered to kind of, I went, shell companies is the wrong word because that sounds highly illegal, um, you know, but companies, <laughs> companies that we have that we have stood up that are legitimate, you know, have legitimate EINs and things like that, that we use to buy code signing certificates to sign our own, you know, C2s that we develop. So, you know, this is a very effective strategy that these APT groups are using and one that we use heavily on the red teaming side too. Awesome. What do we got next, Darian? Yeah. So the next one on our list really is highlighting a change in tactics that we've seen as the cyber war between Russia and Ukraine evolves, right? If you recall, maybe a couple of months ago, security research teams across the world started to enumerate all the different destructive malware that Russia was using in their cyber war. Uh, so they've literally exhausted identifying all the different wipers, all the different destructive malware that was previously used. And so now Russia's gotten a little bit more creative. Uh, they're repurposing malware that was traditionally for ransomware, and they're just stripping out the the uh, the recovery component and converting it to be a wiper. So it, it'll be interesting to see if we, we start to see trends of this where previously predominantly, you know, ransomware was never really intended or used for this purpose now is. So from a defender's perspective, that's, that's a bit concerning. Um, you know, if you were, had any hopes or shreds of, you know, trying to recover, <laughs> Uh, data post ransomware infection, you probably won't be, you know, a valid strategy in the future. You pretty much have to assume, look, your data is gone. You need to recover <laughs> from a trusted source. I was just going to say, this is, um, you know, I talk about this, I guess I'd say it'd be a little bit controversial. You know, I'd said this on the last one, I think, talking about us being in World War III, but it's a cyber war. And, and some people agree with me, some people don't. But I believe that, you know, I, th I think one of the things that's that's happening right now is this this whole ransomware world is actually starting to move away from my files are <laughs> files are encrypted. But the other big scary part is the data exfiltration piece of it. Yep. And so we're getting a lot of different companies like like HP that that uh, went out went ahead and bought Zerto. And then you've got guys like Black Fog and some of these other guys who are actually doing very specific areas around the data exfiltration side as opposed to the encryption piece. So it's kind of changing the dynamics. It's, it's still a major problem. With this one, you know it called home. You know, you know the ransomware called home. Even though it's just sitting there, it may sleep for a year. 
Right. But it did call home and it's just waiting for instructions. And that, that's just the reality of how this is evolving. And Derek, was this the one that calls home through Mastodon? Yeah. Well, you know, ever since we we saw the the fallout with Twitter, uh, you know, even the <laughs> yeah. malware operators are starting to diversify and say, you know, let's, let's look at other. Wait, is, is something going on with Twitter right now? I don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So even even malware operators have contingency plans now, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's just well, a bunch of rumors, Dave. Don't don't. Oh, me. gotcha, gotcha. Well, well, what's interesting about this is you know, I mean, Russia. MO has always been, you know, leverage the techniques of ransomware groups and authors, especially those yep. that happen to be in their country to leverage their capabilities as well to inflict damage on, you know, the United States as well as others. And it's always been kind of the unspoken rule that a lot of these ransomware groups were working kind of on the behest of the government, or at least, you know, the missions and motives, I think, of, of the government entities, you know, right. kind of with impunity and that type of stuff. And, you know, with NotPetya was a great example where, you know, the the response of that wasn't you know, to recover the files, it was pure destruction for folks that were doing work yeah. with the, you know, the tax, the Ukrainian tax software that was there. So anybody that did work in Ukraine. So you're seeing this, you know, again, from a, from a Russia perspective where, you know, Hey, we're going to encrypt the, the heck out of you. You're pretty much toast. There's no way of recovering. And that's really the, the actuality in pretty much all ransomware sides. If you don't have the ability to recover, you're either paying the ransom or you hopefully have really good backups. And that's kind of the the catch 22 right now. So have a good backup strategy, folks. That's uh, the biggest tips for, for all of this. Even if you're not in Ukraine, have a good backup strategy to recover in the event of a ransomware. Well, it's, it's funny because the smaller companies that we work with, if when they do get hit, and I do quite a bit of consulting, helping them kind of get through this. And the first question they have is, do I pay the ransom or not? Number one. Second question is, what's a crypto wallet? Third <laughs> one is, where do I send the money? And it's always in that order and it's very painful. So it's more of an education process. And I think we need to do a better job as practitioners to educate people on not just you, you've got ransomware, you've got, you got hit, but on, on everything else too. I think it's just a whole, we need, you know, what do you do if your mouse is moving around on your screen one day and your <laughs> screen is flickering, you know, do you unplug it or do you crawl into your desk and cry? <laughs> and I think, I think we, why they, not both? Yeah. I, and that's, I've been under my desk crying before, so I'll be the first to admit it. So. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it is a challenge, though, that a lot of it's a, there's a gap between the education side of it and then the actual execution side of the of, of the malware, ransomware, you know, whatever, all the above. And Chris, at, at some of these smaller orgs, are you seeing them at least making an attempt to back things up? I mean, now that we have cloud, I remember doing backups on tapes, right? Yeah. And and having to swap those tapes out. Now that you can back up to the cloud, I mean, is, there's, I can't think of a single legit reason why people aren't backing up. I think the soda right now, the state of the art right now is about 15 minutes. So I'm thinking, well, that's, that's you know, that's not enough. But the other side of that, it, like I said, was saying earlier, is a lot of people just ignorant about this. Um, uh, you right. know, I, had, I was speaking to the CEO of uh, Black Fog, the, the ransomware company. They're, they're on the defensive side, not the offensive side, just to be clear. I was talking to them and they they went in and they were talking about, you know, how do I get these companies to get good hygiene in terms of doing backups? And one of the ladies came to them and said, we're good. And she held, held up her key drive, a, a key drive and said, this is where our backups are. And we're like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's, it, like I said, it goes back to just, just basic education and, you know, to giving people kind of the tools to be, more situational aware and, and and be able to at least remediate themselves. 
Did she I actually think, have a legit corporate backup on that key drive, or was that like just her own computer that had been packed up? I think it, I think it was just her own computer. I hope it was. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. I think I think this goes into a larger discussion though on what businesses prioritize, and yeah. I think a lot of times. You know, backup strategies, business continuity. I mean, uh, even you know, obviously, cybersecurity are things that are really only afforded to mostly large organizations or enterprise, not necessarily small to medium-sized businesses. Right. And you look at small to medium-sized businesses. You know, a lot of them predominantly cloud-centric nowadays, so they don't have to build their own IT infrastructure. And they assume, well, hey, everything's backed up and everything's good. Whereas we see adversaries now moving more towards cloud infrastructure attacks, and the same types of attacks happening on-prem or happening in cloud. So. I think there's yeah. a perception issue that if you're cloud, you're secure. If you're cloud, you have backups. And that's yeah. not necessarily the case in most in most of these things that we're seeing now. <laughs> that's a good point. Right. All the cloud providers should change their landing pages to, hey, have you backed your stuff up yet? And then get into the rest of the detail about their organization. Yep. Well, like, the cost for a cloud data breach is about 2x the cost for a, for an on-prem breach. So it's about four wow. on the big on, in the big companies, about four and a half to five million dollars for a for a from an internal breach, but for a cloud breach, uh, and it depends on the volume and value of the data and things like that. But it, we're 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 seeing about seven to seven to nine million on on the cloud data breaches, which is scary. But but you know the other side of that too is is a lot of these breaches are coming out. They're grabbing just a tremendous amount of data. Yeah. And if you can get PII data, you can sell it for a lot more. But the average cost right now is about one hundred fifty to one hundred and seventy five dollars per record. The wow. cost goes way up. Thing, other things like you know Facebook stuff and all all that garbage that's you know that goes pretty pretty cheap on the dark web, sure. but the but the actual real data that is relatively valuable there's a lot less of it, but they they charge a lot more for it. Great insight, guys. Darian, what's next? Yeah, so next on our list is really an evolution of techniques that are now used by malware operators to try to achieve greater degrees of bulletproof hosting. When we talk about this idea of Web3 technologies, you typically think of blockchains and Bitcoins, but it turns out that there's another aspect of it, which involves decentralized bulletproof hosting, and it can be used for both good purposes and bad purposes. Interplanetary file system is what it's typically called, but you can think of it as like the next- Can we just take a moment? Can we take a moment and just- uh, reflect how awesome of a name that protocol sounds like. I mean, <laughs> yes. I, I'm pretty sure it's what the super friends were using a long time ago. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, we've hit like spaceship level intergalactic, you know, like that big. Yeah. We need yeah. to get rings that we can punch together yeah. <laughs> into a waterfall. In the, in right. The <laughs> sorry, to, sorry to digress, but I just had no, a shout no. out to that. Yeah, I mean, no, it just no. sounds amazing. You, you said yeah. what we were all thinking. I had the same. Yeah, <laughs> Such nerds. <laughs> they, they they thought big about it. But right. you know, at the end of the day, this is just another variant of what people already know is like BitTorrent, right? It's just except now the endpoints are directly accessible over the web. And similar to like using and protecting your users against any sort of usage of unauthorized advanced technologies like Tor, for example, this is another one that you might want to strategically block. Because otherwise, it's going to be very hard for you to understand what the heck this content is, given just the amount of obfuscation or encoding that's going on with some of these web calls. And most defenders really don't have the time to go into details of, okay, what is this thing and how do I defend each and every individual alert related to this using this tech? 
Right on. Yeah. To, to build out the regex for that and implement it everywhere. That, that'd be real fun, right? It's, it's equivalent okay. to trying to, you know, identify and block Tor, right? There's a whole bunch of different Tor nodes out there. And it's like, do you want to deal with this tactically or strategically? We, you know, we have a weekly analyst tribunal, I guess you call it, where we get together. And up until, up until about six months ago, there weren't really any startup, you know, vendors popping up that they're focusing on Web3. And so now we're starting to see a few more of these guys, specifically out of Israel, that are starting to really kind of hammer down and start building companies just very specifically focused on Web3, because it's a whole different, in a distributed environment, it's a whole different set of challenges and problems. But with that, we we also realized that there's not really anybody out there doing security around autonomous vehicles, mm. which all have a lot of the same problems. And so um, I think you're going to see a renaissance of security companies popping up that are, are probably going to end up initially focusing on Web3, um, especially with our friends at uh, what's FTX. But the, I think then you're going to start seeing kind of another wave of companies that are doing very specific cybersecurity within the rolling data centers, the autonomous vehicles. Speaking of uh, physical things, <laughs> that's <laughs> transition to our last threat depending on the technology you're using, could actually pose a, a different type of threat. Right. So it started out with, you know, a researcher discovering kind of a, an obscure vulnerability in physical access protocols that are used to get into and out of physical doors, right? And you're like, okay, well, how big of an impact is this really? Right. And it turns out that this particular vendor is actually used to protect, you know, very secure infrastructures like the White House and the UK <laughs> Parliament. <laughs> You know, in case you're in charge of trying to define and defend against physical threats, you might want to take a look to see if you're using any of these vendor products and, and deploy the patch pretty quickly. Because essentially, once, you know, an attacker uses the vulnerability, they can walk through the door as if there's no oh. lock at all. And, and I can't imagine for someone that's responsible for a large physical campus or multiple campuses. I mean, we, we've yeah. been talking about S-bombs a lot recently. IoT bombs, build, uh, bills of material, like really, really, uh, again, asset management of literally things like door locks are now going to become necessary um, for you to stay up on top of things like this. No, just one more thing I have to worry about. Uh, <laughs> usually when the doors that open to my house is because of either the wind or my children. <laughs> well, it's like, it's like they keep implementing things that are even yeah. more harder for us to secure from a protocol perspective. I mean, you look at DNS over TLS, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, what the hell are we supposed to do there? You know, you know, you look at this and it's just, different ways of exfiltrating data, not having visibility into protocols or data, you know, it's, it's continuously getting harder and harder for us. That's why it's so important to have visibility into like the initial access components, privilege escalation, lateral movement, looking at the whole kill chain. Yeah. But again, you know, very complex to incorporate in most organizations. That's a, that's a good point. And now that we're getting to, we have the apps for our garage doors and our doors and you know, this, the Amazon uh, was an Amazon door where they can come and drop a package in your garage. Yeah. Right. That's those those are those are becoming very very big targets and uh, and you'd think we would have learned I mean when when uh, when the first couple of protocols came out just to create the internet and we realized oh well this isn't very secure everybody said that they're like this isn't yeah. secure we need to learn from this and do better the next time and then health devices all of a sudden nobody thought about it and now now our physical security devices same problem and we're we're just not learning fair enough. If you want to dive deeper into this week's trending threats, be sure to check out the interactive Fletch newsletter and Trending Threats app. 
To see all the stories we talked about, peruse the Thread Index at your leisure, and more. Now, on to our special guest interview. Now for the second portion of the show, let's let's have a chat with Dave. So for those of you that don't oh, know Oh man, Dave, I'm, on, I'm on the spot now. Okay. You are on the spot. <laughs> so Dave is Chief Hacking Officer of Trusted Second Binary Defense Systems. He's also co-authored a book, uh, Metasploit, The Penetration Tester's Guide. He's been uh, interviewed by multiple news organizations like CNN, MSNBC, uh, BBC World News. You also are the co-host of your own podcast, a social engineer, and you've spoken on a lot of other ones. And you also helped found a cool uh, standard around penetration testing called PTES that I, I think a lot of people have found incredibly helpful. But you also do something outside of uh, security for a charity work that's really cool. Tell us a real quick about that, Dave. When I was a kid growing up in, in school, sports weren't really my thing, believe it or not. And so I was really focused on computers, building computers, programming. I used to do what are called MUDs. A lot of newer folks yeah. wouldn't know what MUDs are, multi-user dimensions, all text-based video games on BBS systems or bulletin board systems. And my, my passion was always computers and technology. So I never was in the organized sports thing or stuff like that. And as of late in schools, there's been an alternative to folks that may not be physically fit or the, have the ability to go and do it. or inner city schools that don't have the technological uh, infrastructure to support programs like this. And so I started building uh, esports gaming facilities and sponsoring them, funding them, building them out to give scout new scholarship opportunities, very similarly to what you'd see from a sporting perspective in the esports gaming facility side. So, you know, le legit way to play video games at school in an organized fashion, uh, you know, with teams and coaches and you're playing other school districts and competing. One of the school districts that uh, I sponsored Bedford, which is where I graduated from, the net medium income is under 30,000. So well under the national average inner city schools really struck, you know, by poverty, uh, kids don't have access to technology. I was able to go build my first esports gaming facility there and the kids made it to nationals. And each year it's creating 15 new full boat scholarship ride opportunities to college for these oh, wow. kids that would never ever have it. So I've been trying to come out with a new esports facility each year for new school districts. I'm, I'm just finishing and completing one uh, just now to be announced hopefully in the next month or so. But uh, really giving opportunity for kids to enjoy the sporting element, uh, the sports side of the house from a technology standpoint and also give kids access to technology. So I really enjoy that. I really enjoy giving back to, you know, communities and, and folks that don't have the opportunity to go and do it. We'll have some really big news. It's been my dream since I started Trusted Sec to do something that will hopefully change the security industry as a whole. But I can't talk about the end until next year, but really big news coming out that will be really big for community inner city schools, things like that uh, coming out soon. So that is so awesome. Thank you so much for, for everything that you do uh, for the community and yeah. uh, and outside of the community, David. That's fantastic. Yeah, I got I got to laugh at you because my, my very first company was a chat uh, chat software company. Mm. And the my partner in that business was the guy who wrote The Secrets of the Mud Wizards. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> wow. it was, we, we kind of took the, it was like the next generation of IRC. That's but, awesome. Uh, yeah, and I, I tried to push that memory away in my head a long time ago. <laughs> I'd say, I'd say that the biggest satisfaction I get is, you know, going into those schools and seeing the kids yeah. all laughing and having fun. And then, you know, I got a message from one of the kids. He's now in his third year of, of college, never would have had the opportunity to, and uh, is in, going into cybersecurity, which is an awesome thing. So you know, really cool to see these kids progress and grow and know that you had a helping hand and being able to change someone's life and kind of break the cycle. You know, it's, it's big for me. So gentlemen, what I, what we, we're actually publishing this 
I, probably today, I think three colleagues of mine at TAG, we we wrote a, a giant resource deck for folks that want to get into cybersecurity. What are the resources? Mm. And it it starts with this starts with veterans, but it goes all the way down into school. And what are the, what are the things you need to, what are the traits you need to have? What can you do? And and I'll be happy to share that with everybody as well. So oh, that would be so nice cool. resource. And Dave, so besides what you've done for outside the community, I, I, I think so many people have learned from you. I've certainly learned from you and benefited you. You've uh, you've dropped free tools like the Social Engineering Toolkit, um, plus like a, a couple dozen more uh, throughout your career. You helped develop the penetration uh, testing standard and have even taught workshops on it. But I've been fortunate. I've gotten to see you at uh, events. A lot of companies that don't have a full bore security team or don't have much budget for the maybe one half of a IT resource to do security, they struggle because they don't get to benefit from your advice. They, they don't get to go see the, the conferences. They may not know how to run tools from the command line, but from everything you've done, you've learned that even these folks can at least move the needle in their security defenses. What's some of the things that you've seen be effective for these smaller orgs that don't have a ton of resources? Yeah, I think you, you hit it right on the head there in a second that a lot of organizations don't have dedicated security personnel. They're lucky to have one IT person or a third-party company they use from a managed you know, service provider perspective. Right. So you know, companies range in the size of their IT org, their security org, et cetera. When you look at the size of an organization, I think the biggest shift and change that people have to recognize is that regardless of the size of your organization, you are a target. So once you understand that first fundamental concept, because, you know, like, 10 years ago, you know, we would say, hey, everybody's a target, but it really wasn't the case because ransomware groups really weren't targeting everybody. They were targeting really low, sophisticated companies, you know, mom and pop shops, churches, things like that. Right. And But what we've seen is that, you know, these ransomware groups now have the same level of sophistication as APT, uh, you know, nation state groups. You know, they have mm -hmm. research divisions, they have dedicated personnel. One thing that I thought was really funny, uh, if you look at the Conti leaks, uh, which is a, was a really big, one of the largest organized ransomware groups, you know, they had a tiered help desk system and there was a, a bunch of dumps that happened from their internal chat servers uh, that happened a few months ago. And when you look at their chat logs, you know, you'd see, you know, a help desk type of system where you'd have less sophisticated hackers trying to break in and they'd run into something and have more sophisticated hackers helping them break into these companies. The funniest one that I ever saw was one of the hackers landed on a Linux box and couldn't figure out how to exit VI, the editor. And so he was asking the help desk guy, it, it was something like, how do I get out of this hell of an editor to, you know, so, <laughs> so you know, these groups are, are, are really well run. They're run like businesses. You know, most of the people that are in charge of these groups are business people. They're not hackers and they right. employ hackers all across the world. So noticing that you're a target, I think is, is number one. Mm -hmm. And then what are the, the top things that you could do to really try to protect your infrastructure your data, regardless if you're on-prem or cloud. And I think a lot of that goes to the basics. And we talk about the basics. It doesn't mean the basics are, are easy. It means that the basics are what's going to save you uh, in the long run from some of these lower sophisticated attacks and ones that you're seriously going to see from these, these ransomware groups. Right. So I would say, you know, starting off, Microsoft had a statistic from one of their most recent conferences that out of all of their Microsoft 365 customers, over 87% do not have multi-factor authentication enabled. Uh, right. Like that is number one. If you're a small business or a medium-sized business and you don't have multi-factor authentication enabled, please enable it right now. And don't default to the push notification side. Um, push notifications should go away 
completely. They're, I don't consider them a solid form of authentication because Agreed, users are there yeah. all the time and hit allow. Yeah. So I, I would even venture to say, if you're going basic, just use the text messaging feature. I know that doesn't sound very security like of mine, but a text, fe- text message feature is a heck of a lot better than push notifications. And if you can get to an authenticator app, even better. Your multi-factor authentication is number one. Uh, leveraging password managers across your enterprise, like LastPass, right. OnePassword, having unique passwords. We often see that credential stuffing, I think, is a major problem that a lot of these breaches originate from. We saw Uber recently was breached by a bunch of 17-year-olds called Lapsus. They were able to buy a contractor's account from the dark web, use that to get around, and they used multi-factor authentication, just kept spamming the contractor with a push notification. Eventually, they hit allow, gave them full access to their infrastructure, full data breach, et cetera. I think password management, multi-factor authentication, and the last one is keeping your systems up to date as much as possible with the latest security releases and patches. Those three things alone make a huge difference. The last one I'll say is having visibility into infrastructure. So monitoring detection. So those are the four things I think that are really mm. important. That's a whole complex subject in its own, but at least leveraging, if you're, if you're a Microsoft 365 customer, leveraging something like Azure Sentinel, there's a lot of connectors in there that will automatically hook into Office 365 and a bunch of other areas. You can get visibility into login activity and unusual traffic. It can start to get complex if you don't have dedicated resources. That's where maybe a managed security service provider may comes into play. But at the end of the day, it's, it's really bringing those basics together that will save you in the long run from, from a lot of these major breaches that you see out there. Right. And, and the first two that you, you talked about, pretty much any IT person can deploy it. For multi-factor, I'd also recommend don't make the mistake some folks do and only do multi-factor to the important accounts. You really have to yeah. do it for every account you have out there or you have massive gaps that people can use to bypass. And then for the other stuff, Something like third-party contractor and MSSP can help you get that more complex stuff done so that uh, you can get that visibility and you can get control of your vulnerabilities, for instance. Yep. Do, why why think, do so many people struggle with patching, do you think? It's, I think it's a, a thing of its importance, like we talked about on, on backups. We all have a lot of distractions throughout the day. We're running businesses. Our businesses are moving at a, at a rapid rate. You have HR that's putting in a new HR system. You have new systems that are being put over here, a new technology that we're leveraging and we forget about. I think it's just a matter of consistency and standardization across the enterprise that, that makes a big difference. You know, you have people's laptops that are running different components of software that have variations. And it's just until you get a handle around configuration management and owning yeah. your assets, I think it becomes a, a struggle for folks to, to patch systems. But you know, at the end of the day, changing defaults, hardening your systems, that type of stuff will make a big impact. I, I don't typically see a massive exploit that compromises an entire organization anymore. It's just not like happening as much as as, as you would think. And, and those usually make yeah. the big news subjects. Right. So you know, I think you know the multi-factor authentication password manager is probably the two most important ones I focus on. And then looking at you know, either removing legacy systems in your infrastructure or patching the existing ones that you have. I think that, sure. that'll make a huge difference. The legacy ones are the killers. That's usually like the business critical app running on it in the back office that nobody knows how to update uh, or anything. It's probably running some old version of Java 6 or something on it, right? Yep. And Chris, uh, to, to add to that, what, what do you usually end up recommending to your smaller customers? That's the right, that's the right advice. I mean, all the above. The only, the only thing we really do try to push is just to make sure that they train and get their employees aware. And that's, that's the only thing I'd add to it. And, and we talked a little bit about ransomware earlier and all the strategies yeah. David was just talking about, the companies were, small companies really worry about ransomware. Even if yeah. it's not the most prevalent attack, 
it's the one everybody worries about. And those tactics that Dave described really are your your primary defenses for stuff like that. And they're effective. I mean, they they, they do a very good job. And and then your backups being your last line of defense is super critical. If you have backups, you can recover from any ransomware attack. As long as you don't have access to your backups. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. yeah. I know. Yes. and don't put them on a key drive either so yeah. <laughs> all right so I, i'm gonna remove my key drive here really quick uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well this has been fantastic dave thanks so much for, for the advice yeah. i love everything you do and a, a lot of people don't always uh, have access uh, or like i said our budget to, to go to conferences where you're speaking so i'm so happy you were able to come and join us today and give a bit of advice to to folks that may not uh, otherwise have gotten it so it's really appreciated yeah uh, pleasure is all mine seriously thanks so much for having me on and uh you know always you can always find me on social media if twitter's still alive uh <laughs> right. you know i'm at i'm at hacking dave on there so always feel free to ask me questions i'm always responsive to the you know to folks out there but uh, always happy to help out that's that's what i'm here for fantastic Thanks so much. We're going to take a week off for Thanksgiving, but we will be back the following week with The Threat Show with a surprise uh, but yet unannounced guest for that show. So stay tuned and, and follow us on Twitter and YouTube to find out what the next guest is going to be. And with that, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. If nothing else, I'm thankful for all of you and everything that you all do for the InfoSec world. So thanks and take care, everyone. Take care, everybody. Thanks. Thank you for tuning into The Threat Show. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe to us on YouTube, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and interact with us on Twitter at The Threat Show. Also, be sure to subscribe to Fletch's interactive newsletter and Trending Threats app to go deeper into the stories we discuss and The Threat Index. Be sure to stay tuned to stay ahead of threats.